0: I want you to be opening your Bibles to Matthew 22. I started last week. uh, I I said, uh, what are we going to do in 2020? And uh, that implies I'm going to give a lot of detail and that probably is not possible from up here. Our time's a little shorter this morning because we uh, take time to do the Lord's table. You saw a couple of new things today. we want to encourage Bible memory. So as many weeks as possible, someone will come out and quote some scripture for us. And appreciate Rick doing that. I know that's a habit of Rick's life. And there are others in our church that they habitually uh, memorize scripture. So we look forward to that. We had a ton of announcements and things in your bulletin. Might be overwhelming. Let me reemphasize a couple of things. One is, uh, in there, is the 21 days of prayer. There are seven churches, I think. Um, involved in that Uh, you will see seven different church names on that sheet Um, pastors rob and robert uh, to the pastors of the church plants that we did uh, used to be church downtown now church united pastor rob and then the village church pastor robert they are spearheaded this and they've done it many ways in times past and last year too we didn't actually cooperate and they've done a lot of different things this year We just put together some prayer requests and give that prayer guide. And we're asking you to pray, use that prayer guide, pray for those different things for different churches. But on this coming Friday night, there'll be a rally at Wayne Hills Baptist Church. from 7 to 9, where we'll pray and do all these things together. The second week, uh, a week from Friday night, it will be held here at Calvary from 7 to 9. And then the the last Friday night in in January, it'll be held at Church United, which is in the uh, Stanton Mall, uh, right there off uh, two sixty two and eighty one. So, um, I just wanted to make you aware of all that, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, ask you to be in uh, to be in prayer for all these churches. Also, in there are. The CTI next week, if you're a guy and you want to be involved in this mentoring ministry, um, don't come nonchalantly. We're going to be real serious about that. Um, it's going to lead to other things, and there's a couple of more things in there about that. Uh, we would like to go to a, a statewide rally uh, in February. Uh, there's information there. Also, the Ignite uh, at, at um, Lynchburg is in there, and they're advertising Tim Tebow, but I'm real excited because Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor, is also going to be there. So if you know about that, uh, that he's worth going to hear. Uh, so just a lot of stuff's coming up, and we're going to be busy, but we want our busyness to point to something. Amen? I know I don't look like it, but I do try to work out. And... Uh, I go to the why I do that, and there's people on those bikes. And I resist because I would say it every time I passed anybody on any bike. But, man, you are getting nowhere fast, you know. And uh, in church, sometimes we feel like we're just on that stationary bike, you know, just pedaling like crazy but not getting anywhere. And uh, I, I don't want us to feel that way. But at the same time, there are things that we want to do and, and want to encourage. And this year, really, we're going to be trying to kick off us actually getting into helping people grow in Christ and doing things as we grow together. And so so last week I talked about what are we going to be doing in 2020 and just kind of laid a foundation from CBC because we're called by God to become His disciple and carry His message. And this week and next week I want to go through five of the strategies or five of the purposes, Rick Warren calls them, uh, five uh, foundational ways in which we can do what God's called us to do. Last week, I gave you my personal chart that I got from the wisest man in the world that remains nameless, but uh, just four words, evangelism, edification, individually and corporately, but we understand that to mean tell people about Jesus, and when they know Jesus, tell them what they need to know, and do that by yourself and with other people, okay? That's everything the church is supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be telling people about Jesus, and when they come to Christ, we're supposed to be helping them to understand how to obey His commandments. We'll be about more next week. But we do that by ourselves, just with your friends, neighbors, family. But we also do it together as a church, maybe through an event or going out as a group uh, or invite people in as a group. And we do that together because nobody can do it by themselves, which is also something we'll talk about uh, next week as well. So today we're going to look at Matthew 22, where we get the first two of these. We commonly call them worship and, uh, and ministry. Now, again, those words are not complicated or hard, but I don't think we fully understand uh, everything worship means. um, And I'm not actually going to have time to even define that very well today. Uh, But I do want to open your eyes to this passage because there's more there than you would suspect at a a casual reading of it. And it's six verses, uh, uh, Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. I'm sure you're all there already. So if you would like to stand up, I'd appreciate it. I know uh, we just went through some other things, but beginning in verse uh, 34, "...but when the Pharisees heard that he had, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him." Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All right? And okay thank you let's pray father thank you in jesus name and help us now to understand open our eyes of understanding that we can behold wonderful things out of your word in jesus name amen y'all be seated sorry my mind raced ahead to a couple things and i almost lost my place i talked about worship and and ministry and the way that right now we'd like to say that is that thankful people worship i mean if you are grateful to a god who saves you you're going to Tell him about it, right? But worship, so many times even uh, amongst Christians, we talk about church and go, man, we had a great time of worship today. And what we mean by that is, man, the song service was banging, okay? That's what we're saying, but that's that's not true because when I'm preaching, this is worship. If you're listening, if you're actively listening, you know there's listening and actively listening. Like husbands listen, but they don't rarely actively listen, Right? <laughs> I thought I'd at least get ladies on my side for a minute. Um, Yeah, uh, so uh, kids do that. We all do that. We hear it, but we don't really plan to do anything about it. But if but if if you're listening and I'm preaching, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to the Lord. This is a gift to the Lord to tell you. But I have to think of it as if I'm talking to God and you're listening in. I'm actually talking to myself most of the time. I need to apply things I'm saying too. But this is also worship. Me having a meal with my kids is an act of worship because I'm a Christian. And there is no ground on which I walk that is unholy because wherever I go, the Holy Spirit goes with me. So we like to read the story of Moses at the burning bush and take off your shoes where you stand on holy ground. And we don't do this for societal niceness, but we ought to be barefoot everywhere then because everywhere you and I step as believers is holy ground. Every bush is a burning bush. There, there's no secular and sacred. So when I'm eating a meal, if we're conscious of that, and I realize that that is an act that God has given me to do, then I will do it with purpose and meaning and thoughtfulness. No conversation I have with a stranger or a friend is not an act of worship. At least it should not not be. It ought to be an act of worship. You following that? So I want to at least expand you a little bit to think of it that way. And then secondly, to, to minister means that Jesus people serve people. If you, are, if you claim to be a Jesus person, then you ought to serve other people. You ought to help them. You ought to do whatever you can to help them. Because that's what Jesus did. He came to, to help people. Now, not in an unrealistic way, but in a way that is helpful to them. And so these things are things we ought to be doing. And so if we really and truly love God and our neighbor. Everything at church would look different. We come to church and we expect certain things to happen and certain looks to be seen. You know, like what we're wearing or what someone else is wearing, how we sing or what we sing, how long the preacher preaches or if he preaches. And we expect certain things and, and, and we kind of get locked into that. But if, if our attention was on loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves... Everything in here would look differently. Or look different. We would look at it differently and it would look different. Just to get my English right for English teachers. Not one amen. Wow. Well, let me explain this. Not not for saying it right, but for what I was saying. Let's look at this. I love how this starts. Mark 12 tells the same story and tells it in a little more detail. And I've read this so many times and I kind of lost the thread of something I now see is very important. And that is this, that do you know what, ha- what day this is? This is Tuesday of Passion Week. The triumphal entry has happened. He has cleansed the temple. And on Tuesday, the Sadducees come after him. You say, what in the world is a Sadducee? A Sadducee was a religious group of men. They only accepted Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy as Scripture. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe there was something after the grave. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. So they didn't believe in eternal life, and that's why they were sad. You see? So they're Sadducees. All right? So they were always trying to trip Jesus up. And Mark lets us know uh, what, they were, what they were doing, uh, how they were, trying, they were trying to trip him up about the resurrection because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead and they gave that silly story about a woman and she's married and her husband dies and she follows Jewish law and his brother marries her and there were seven brothers and they all died and she finally got seven husbands Jesus didn't like hypothetical questions any more than anybody does because a hypothetical question is not reality but But anyway, he said, and then they said, and so in the resurrection, whose wife she's going to be? And he said, y'all are stupid. You don't even understand the law. The law says that in in heaven, there is no marriage or giving in marriage. That we're all, it's the same. We know each other, but we are not, we don't have a special human relationship in heaven. Our relationship is just with God himself. And we'll be like angels. We don't marry each other. We just uh, have a pure kind of, of love there. And so they are trying to trap Jesus, and when he does that, it just shuts them up. And it said, and in Mark, he says, and he shut them up. They just quit asking. So the Pharisees go, oh yeah, those amateurs can't do it. Let us let us have a shot at this. So they're going to come after him now. Now remember, he just cleansed the temple. And they see this this person, Jesus, as this radical guy who is preaching something that is foreign to their ears, even though it's perfectly what God's plan was and and perfectly in line with scripture but he's telling them to love their enemies he's telling them to do things that their religion didn't want them to do not what the bible told them to do how they had organized their religion let me go ahead and tell you that these pharisees they were so intent about the law that they had turned the law into 613 commandments Now, that wasn't enough. Now, why 613? Because that's how many Hebrew letters are in the Ten Commandments. So they said, well, it must be a law for each letter. So they had 613 laws. That's not enough. They separated them into 365 good ones or, or negative ones, like you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that, and 248 positive ones, you should do these things. So they saw negatives. Don't do this, and positives. Don't do that. That wasn't enough. Now, then, after that, they separated them into heavy and light. Heavy being, you better do this because you go to hell if you don't. But this one, well, you oh, but you can cheat on Fridays, okay? You know, light is man. This is a complicated system. And the Pharisees, the guy that comes and asks Jesus this question, he's identified as a lawyer. Now, all the Pharisees knew these laws. They that's why they would. When Jesus, you know, healed someone on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to do that. That's like work. Because one of those 613 says, don't work on the Sabbath. And they saw that as work. And it's like, really? You can't heal somebody on God's day when God wants them well? Are you kidding me? But that's how they thought. So this lawyer, though, he's more than just, he knows these laws. Like, he can teach them. He can explain every one of them. He is an expert in the law. And so they thought, maybe, perhaps, this is a speculation, this isn't scripture, but if we're going to trip him up, let's ask him what's the greatest commandment in the law. Because this radical dude's going to come up with some new hippy-dippy stuff, and it's going to be way out there, and we got him. Because think about this. Even though the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of the Bible, who was the human author of those five books? The Pharisees, they love the law. They've made all these deals about the law. Who is their hero? Moses. Moses is the man in Judaism. Because they were slaves and he conquered Egypt and carried them out. And they give Moses all this credit. They even fuss at Jesus about that later. We have Moses, you know, who are you? And he goes, before Moses and Abraham was, I am. And they got mad about that because he was claiming that he was God before Moses even lived. So they said, we'll get him because he's going to say something that's going to be against Moses. And so they, they, they just go after him. They loved Moses so much, but they distorted what he said. And then Jesus gives them this one answer. Here's what the lawyer asked. I've already read it, but just remind yourself here. He says, which is the great commandment in the law? What's the big one? What is the one that cover like if you can only pick one out of 613 that they thought were there, which one is it? You know, don't don't eat don't eat catfish? That's in the law by the way. In case you didn't know that. So if you want me to keep some other minor thing in the Old Testament law, I'm going to remind you you can't have crab, shrimp or catfish or oysters. And some of y'all yeah would say amen to that, but I mean, camels and rats are in there too, but I've never eaten a camel, but I have eaten a rat, so I don't know. But anyway, that was, that was in Thailand. I'll tell you that another day. So, so he's the hero, and they say, what is the big one? And he looks at him and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's what they would have said. That's what they wrote down on their, and put in their little boxes that they hung on their head so it hit their head every time they walked. It's what they wrote and put in a box on their arm so it would bang against their body when they walked. They put it in another box, put it on the door of their house, on their doorpost, so every time they went in, they were required as a Pharisee a certain number of times a day to stop and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and then keep going. And he told them what they already knew. Well, that's not radical. And you can't hang a guy for agreeing with you. But here's the deal. When Jesus finishes talking, they realize they can say it, but they're not living it. They know how to speak it, but they don't know how to do it. In the Old Testament, it says, you shall love... And I keep going, I do three and four. In Mark, he says four things. The last two, mind and strength and Mark. In Hebrew, that concept is together in one word. So Mark breaks it out and Matthew left it, it just what it says in the Old Testament. But, but Jesus goes on to say, when in the Old Testament, the word love is similar and it's the same meaning as the word love in the Greek when it uses the word agape or agapao, his actual word. It means this is the love of the Lord. This is a love of decision, not a love of feeling good about it. It it, it is a love that requires sacrifice if sacrifice is required. That you won't stop loving no matter what happens. I I don't claim to have experienced that love out of me toward anyone else very often. I I don't know that any of us can ever claim that because it's the kind of love God has for us. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, it's my intention to love like that. The reason I married Janice is she's the first woman I met that I love better than I love me. I mean, that's just a fact. She asked me one day, what if I went crazy and I left you and I moved down to where my mom lived? I said, I would move in down the street from you because if you leave me, I'm going with you. And so when he says it, you see, here's what had happened. They had made a God out of their understanding of the law. Out of the 613, divided into 365 and 248, and the good and the bad and the light and the positive and the negative and all that stuff. And they are lost in the minutiae, just like we are. When we come to church, and it's got to be a certain way and a certain thing and a certain how. And if it's not that way, it's not quite right. And we have forgotten the main point is the love agape love, sacrificially love the Lord our God. And then what Jesus does is he takes what it says and he emphasizes it. How's he emphasized it? You can see it right here, even though you may not have noticed it. I didn't notice it, but studying it, I began to realize this. You shall love the Lord your God. Notice what it says. With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, You take those three words, and I will give you some meaning for them. These words are almost interchangeable. All through Scripture, they're used in different ways, but they all come back around to all together being the same thing, which is the totality of our being in general, this is just in general, I don't want you to hold me to it, that the heart is the intellect. Now, I know that sounds backwards, because we think of the heart as, you know, if you watch Hallmark or Disney, follow your heart. Well, if you do, your heart will lead you to hell. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful, above all things. Who can know it? But in this context, it means your intellect, how you think. He says, love the Lord your God with your thought life. Agape, love Him. Sacrifice your thinking that is contrary to God and His will. Paul tells us that, 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 that there's a, a, a power that can break the strongholds and the thoughts that come up against God and against His revealed will. And that we ought to walk in that way and we ought to live in that way. And so Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with all of your intellect. You see, Christianity, people think we're stupid. People think we're dumb. People think we're ignorant. But God never told us to check our mind at the door. This is the only thing that actually makes sense. This is the only thing that's logically consistent. There's no other religion, there's no form of science that is as logically consistent or makes as much sense as an understanding of Scripture. However, the Bible says they're spiritually discerned and a lost man can't even get it. Because as a premise, we accept that there is a creator God and nothing exists except that he made it and he owns it and he runs it. You follow that? So if you reject that there is a God, you'll never get it. And so Jesus says, "Love the God, your Lord, your God, with all your intellect." Then He says, "Soul," and we kind of understand that generally to be our emotion. That is our emotions. You see, I can't help it. He just makes me mad. No, you can help it. Your emotions are your choice. It is how you choose to react to a situation. I mean. And that's just true. Somebody can cuss you out, and you can either cuss them back, or you can say, hey, Jesus loves you, man. So sorry you're so upset. Let me pray for you. I don't mess them up. It's not in my nature. My nature is cuss them back. But God tells me to love them. And so I'm supposed to bring my emotions under control of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying there's not a place, you know... Uh, for self, defense of our nation, defense of yourself. But my emotions ought to be under control of the Holy Spirit. And then the last one says mind. And so we think of that as what I said, intellect, but that's your will. Now, I told you, Mark says, and strength. And so it is the strength of your will. It's the strength of your being. Is what you say, I will do this. I will I will go to this school. I will take that job. I will marry this person. I will. We will have a baby. We will raise this child. We will go to this church. We will eat supper at 5 o'clock. It is the exercise of your will, whether great or small. That's what he's saying. He says, love the Lord your God with all your will. In other words, we sacrifice all of our being. And we would, you know, all of us, we kind of lump it together and say, well, love God with everything. I love God with everything I got. But Jesus noticed, he says, with your heart, with your Soul with your mind and strength. Love the Lord your God. In other words, he separates it out to make it more em- more emphatic. Like, dude, you better love him this way and this way and this way. But it, boom, it all comes back together to say that I've sacrificed everything in my life for the sake of loving the Lord my God. That's what he's telling them. He says, you can put it in your little box because the Old Testament told them to do that and hang it on your head and... And let it bang against your head every day. But that's not living it out. Here's living it out. When you sacrifice everything to do that. You see, they had made a God out of their understanding of the Bible. Not out of what God commanded in the Bible. And that's what we do. We make a God of our own understanding. I talk to people a lot and they go, Well, I just don't think God would. Well, your God wouldn't. But the God of the Bible does. That's what he said. See my point? And we live in a time where people don't believe in absolute truth. They don't believe uh, in in that kind of thing. Uh, and, And God is very much that way. But then Jesus goes on. He goes on to expand it a little bit and says, Oh, and by the way, you should also love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says on these two things hang all the law and the prophets. The first five books and the rest of the Old Testament. It's all summed up in love God and love your neighbor. Now I would point out loving God and loving your neighbor forms a cross. And that's exactly what he's calling us to do. To die to ourself, to sacrifice myself to love God, but to sacrifice myself to love my neighbor. You remember one time Jesus said that and they said, who's my neighbor? And he tells a story Uh, of the good Samaritan. The guy who was hated, the Samaritan, sees a Jewish guy beat up. And the lawgivers, the preachers and the lawyers and the Pharisees, they walk on the other side because they don't want to go mess with the guy that's been messed up. But the Samaritan, his enemy, sees him and goes and ministers to him and takes him to what would be equivalent of our hospital and says, here he is, here's some money, if it costs more than that, I'll come back, I'll pay you even more, take good care of him. And Jesus said, which one's his neighbor? The guys with the phylacteries and the garments and they fast and they pray and they do all that stuff for the guy that helped his neighbor. And they finally had to say, well, I guess the guy that helped him. He goes, yeah, well, you could do that. And he used enemies to illustrate it. You see, that's what God asked of us. That is literally what God asked of us. They knew it, but they weren't doing it. Somebody pointed out to me that if that guy laying on the, in the ditch on the side of the road had broken one of their 613 laws, oh, they'd have gone over and told him about it. You know, you're not supposed to be laying here all bloody like that. You need to clean yourself up. You met those people at church, haven't you? Some church and they don't dress like you or look like you or smell like you or talk like you. And all of a sudden you feel the need to correct them. That's because you made a God out of yourself and your understanding of who God is. He said, kill yourself to love me and love your neighbor. You put all that to death so that it's not an act of emotion, it's an act of my will. I will love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind. They know it but they're just not doing it. But neither are we. Ezekiel 33 says that the people went out to hear the preacher and said, "Oh, it's like a lovely song." He said, "They hear you but they don't do what you say." And when that happens, you know a prophet has been among them. They'll know that. That that we hear the words but we don't actively hear them. We hear what we want to hear and then we go on, "Oh, yeah, we love the Lord." And we love God. But my neighbor, you just don't know. Some people live by that poem, to live with the saints in heaven. Oh, what glory. But to put up with them here on earth, well, that's another story. (laughs) In churches, people fight each other and hate each other. They split over stupid things. Because there is never a good reason to split except truth. Other than truth, there's no reason for you and I to ever split fellowship. So, you see why I said what I said. If we truly, truly, truly love God and our neighbor, everything here would look different. Because we'd be loving the unlovely. We'd be ministering to people who couldn't pay us back, who couldn't contribute anything to us or to the church or anything else. We would be loving God so much we couldn't wait to get in here just to stand in his presence with our brothers and sisters and glorify his name. And in fact, we would probably want to sing every week Just as I am without one plea. Jesus, I come. Because I got nothing to give him. I only have to gain by coming to him. And when I do, when I say I want to follow him, Jesus says, oh, the greatest commandment, you already know it. It's what you would have told me, but you're not living it. And when he's got done with them, Mark says nobody would even ask him a question after that because they knew he had to the wall and they have nothing no defense for how they're living so here's what I would recommend you do I'd recommend this week you evaluate how you love God with your heart your soul your mind and your strength you can separate those last two out or put them together They they can be either way with your with your your Intellect, with your emotions, with your the will and the strength of your will in your life. I I would just recommend doing that. That, That's obvious, I know, but I want to say it because I think you ought to actually do an evaluation of that. And then measure your love of God with how you love your neighbor. Now I know that sounds drastic, but 1 John 4 20 says, How can you love God whom you've not seen if you don't love your neighbor whom you? Your brother, whom you have seen. It is the mark of the disciple that is obvious they love God because they love other people. Jesus said that. I'm going to give you a new commandment. There's no greater love than this that a man lays down his life for his friends. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for someone else? That is the ultimate test of whether God's living in you because that's exactly what God did. He had one son, he made him a missionary. And he put on an earth suit. And he came and lived among us as a human. And he lived a sinless life. And then he died in my place on a cross. And thank God, as we sang this morning, he didn't stay dead. He got up. Man, that's exciting. I was so excited singing that song. Man, he rose from the dead. So that he could send the Holy Spirit to live in us. That we could live his life. And if that means dying for the... But the thing is, you won't die physically if you won't die every day, spiritually. Paul said, I buffet my body, I die daily. Every day I say, put Paul aside that I might live for Christ. And I think all of us may struggle with that. I I know I do, and I'm sure you do. And then thirdly, I'd say, just find one sacrificial thing you can do for a neighbor. Now, a neighbor doesn't have to live next to you. I'm going to define it like Jesus did. Wherever you see a need, it might be at work, might be in your family, might be a physical neighbor next door in your house. It might be somebody you just meet this week, but figure out something you can do that costs you something to minister to them. And I think that will help you to get on that road.